Hey, good morning. Today's daf is daf Ayin Tes. Today's shir is Le'ilu Nishmas Gilavas Yitzhak Yisrael Halevi. May he, may her neshama have a blessing. May her family be comforted. And may her memory, uh, may her neshama have an aliyah. And may her memory be a blessing. Amen. It's also for a full shleim of Adazah Bas Reina Edel. May she have a complete and speedy recovery. And so, but now remember we were discussing the Mirsei um, Meluk and the father's, the, the, not the father's, the husband's rights in the Mirsei in the Meluk. So now the Gemara is going to discuss a case that touches on it. It says, right, sorry, right at the bottom of Ein Chesamud Beis, 78b. Um, yes. Can you just do um, one for my wife? She's going to put this easy. Ah, oh, okay. For a full shleima of? Shayna Baskita. Shayna Baskita. May she have a very successful uh, operation and a, and, a, and a quick and speedy recovery. Um, so, just to remind us of one halacha that we saw yesterday. So, remember we said that the husband has a right to the assets of his wife. Part of the discussion is exactly at what point in the marriage did the assets fall to the wife? Did she inherit them? And at what point did the husband try to and try to or did she try to sell them that we say the husband can ban the sale? He has the right to the payros and therefore he has no right to therefore she cannot sell the land which undermines his rights. Um, but the, the clearest case was if she inherited them as an Asua, as a completely married woman, and then she tried to sell it as a completely married woman, we do not allow the, her to sell it. And if she does sell it, the sale is voided. The husband can go and take it back. Um, that was the obvious case, and that will be the one that's relevant to us. Um, Rabbi Shimon came along and he made a distinction. He said when she gets married... Um, when she does erusin or nesuyin, did the husband know about those assets or not? Did he, when he married her, did he kind of expect her to inherit those assets or not? That was yuduin v'sha'ena yuduin, whether he knows about it or not. So he said, for example, let's say she marries a very, she's the only daughter of a very rich uh, property tycoon. So when he marries her, he kind of expects her to inherit all those lands. So there Rabbi Shimon says, that's where she can't sell them. Again, she inherits them later on in the marriage. But if it, she inherits land from some distant relative in uh, some other country, Portugal, I don't know, anywhere else, that he doesn't really aware of, and he didn't marry her expecting to get anything, any of those properties, then she would be allowed to sell them. That's how Rabbi Shimon learned. We'll see in the next story why I'm re-emphasizing that. So Zahi is it about the boy, the Tavrachinu Lenasomigabra. There was a woman who wanted to keep her assets away from her husband. I she didn't want it that it goes to her husband and her husband has the right to use it. She wanted to keep it in her family. So what did she do? Yeah, so, so, so again, um, she was this woman getting married. And therefore, what did she do? Kazvina Labarsa, she wrote them as a gift to her daughter. And this is what's called the Shtar Havrocha. And the, 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 the novelty of the Shtar Havrocha is that 
She's not really giving her property. She's not really giving her property as a gift to her daughter. She's just trying to make it seem like it's not hers so that her husband doesn't get to have the payros or restrict her in selling it. That's her goal. Says Now, in survey, she subsequently got married, the Irgashah, and then divorced. So now she wants to go to her daughter and say, I want my land back. The only reason I wrote this whole star giving my land to you as a gift was to keep them away from my husband. Well, now I'm divorced. I want it back. So Asala came to Rav Nachman. They went into a court case. The daughter said, no, you gave it to me as a gift. And look, I've got this document that proves that it's a gift. So she says, but I want it. She said, I didn't give it to you. So they came before Rav Nachman. And Kare Rav Nachman, Ashtari Rav Nachman, tore up the star. Now what did he say? He, Rav Nachman was saying, it's a star havrocha. The, the wife, this woman, did not give it to her daughter as a gift. She just did this document so that the husband has no expectation of the land. So therefore, he tore up the star and the land goes back to the woman. That's what I mean, tearing up the star. Okay? It's a document that says this land is given as a gift to I mean, her daughter. And that's what, when her husband's marrying her and he's going through and they're discussing the financial situation and stuff and working out the ksuba and stuff, he says, what about all that land you owed? He said, no, I gave it to my daughter as a gift. Look at that document. So it looks on the surface, it looks like a real document. It looks like a gift document, and that's what the daughter produced in court. And, but but Ramnathan says, no, clearly the wife only did it as harvacha to keep the land away from her, the man she was going to marry, so that he doesn't get the payros and rice to sell it, etc. And so therefore, it's not a good document, and he tore it up. Ravanan went to Marukfa. Rashi explains Ravanan was one of the sages, and Marukfa was unfazed. And he said, Look what he says, Omar Mar Nachman You see what Ravnachman the ignorant did? He just went and tore up the star. He's saying, This is crazy. This, this woman, this girl came with a clear document that says her mother gave her all this property as a gift, and now all of a sudden, she tears, um, Rav Nachman went along and tore it up. Can't just tear up a, a document. I agree. So he says, Oh my lay, Amelie, easy gufa. So obviously, I mean, Marukfa is not a fool. He's not going to just say, Oh, that's terrible, how good Rav Nachman. He says, Tell me what happened. Tell me the case. Hey, hey, yo, Omerli, is he good for What happened? So So he related the whole story, basically that the woman gave away her land as a star, as a, as a, as a, to her daughter just to keep it away from her husband, etc. So Omerli, shtam avrachas kamart. So Maruk said, you speaking about it. Shtam avrachas says, Hachi Omer Chani Lai Baridi. Omer Shmuel Chani Lai Baridi said, Name of Shmuel, Moira Hara Ani. I made the psak. Or I have the right to make a psaki and being granted the permission by the Rej Belusa, etc. He's actually learned, but he's Moira Rani. I'm the Poisek, and I say, If I receive the Shtam of Reches, I would tear it up. He says, What's the reason that you say, um, that you're saying you can tear up the star. Like, what gives you this power? You're saying to Rav he says, okay, Rav Nachman, you have some good support, but like, what gives you the right to come along and tear up the star and say, it is not a gift? Again, in front of us, I'll, I'll go into a few details shortly, but in front of us is a good star that the wife gave the land to her daughter. And Rav Nachman's come along and says, no, no, it's a star of Rav and he tears it up. So, I mean, almost we can go as far as to say, we'll look at some of the parameters of it. But can I come along, say, uh, 
here's a, here Benji, um, will you uh, do this favor for me and here's, here's a document, I'm giving you some land. And then we come to court, and then a few months later I come along and I say, no, it was just a joke, because it's not my brachas, I just wanted to keep it away from someone else. You know, can't just tear up each time. So, so that's what Rob is saying to Rabbi Nachman. He says, what made you think you can? That a man, a person's not going to desert themselves for someone else. Right? This wife's not going to give away all her land to her daughter and leave herself penniless. That's why, that's almost, that's the proof that this is a Shtam Avreches, is that why would the wife give all her land away to her daughter? So Robert, but Robert counters when he's speaking to Rab Nachman and he says, Okay, that makes sense when you're speaking to, uh, regarding a stranger, someone else. But it makes sense. A person would sometimes give all their property as a gift to their children. The woman's like, I mean, uh, you could look at it from that perspective. The woman's getting married. It's like, what need do I have for all this property? Let me give it to my daughter. Because, I mean, if she does take it into the marriage, then the husband's going to, then when she dies, the husband's going to inherit. So she's like, you know what, I'd rather just give it to my daughter. You know, if it was someone else, fine, it's just time of breakfast. But it's her daughter. She maybe it makes sense that she wants to give it all to her daughter. So he says, I feel happy, but Rabbi Nachman says, no. You're right, people go all out for their family. But if it's her versus her daughter, obviously her interests come first, and she's going to keep the land for herself. Okay, so let's just discuss um, the Shtam Avreches, because there are a few interesting points on it. Firstly, Rashi comes along and says, how do we know it's the Shtam Avreches? Adim come along and say, or they say, the woman told us she's writing this document as a gift for her daughter, and she tells us that her, it's not a real gift, her motivation is to... Uh, that her daughter will inherit not her not, No, to keep it away from her husband getting it. Not yeah. for her daughter to inherit it. She's kind of just giving it to her daughter in the interim, for as long as she's married. That's her motivation. In, as always, as in case I get divorced or widowed, I can come back and get this land. Um, but she told again, how do we know it's a Shama Brechesh Rashid? She said, I'm not really giving it as a gift to my daughter, I'm giving it. Well, Tosas are not happy with that. Because then what under what logic would um Rav Anan and Robert challenge this and say that it's not really a Shama Brechis? So what does Tosas say? Fascinating is the Tosas at the bottom of the previous page. Um says, I'll just read the answer. Venirela Rabbeinu Yitzchak, it's the second last line in Tosas on the bottom of the page. It says, She didn't say anything. Yeah. She didn't say anything about it being a Shama Brechaz. All she, she wrote out the star she, that she's giving all her land to her daughter. She gave it to her daughter. <coughs> oh, so what's it? It says, But there's, it's just, it's apparent from the situation. Why? So it's just apparent, it's clear from the scenario that it's a star at Mount Brechis. There's no, no one said anything. It's just clear from the scenario. There's, oh, but then something she kept in her heart doesn't count. You know, let's say I'm doing a sale to you, Gavin. So, so in your mind, I'm, I'm, in my mind, in your mind, and what I say is I'm selling you my car. In my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm renting it for uh, two months, but I'm going to come and get it back. We ignore what's in my heart. You can't just make conditions in your heart. So he says, doesn't it fall into that category? He says, no. He says, no. Here, it's clear that she's, it's, it's clear that she's, her intent is to keep them away from her husband. 
I, her, the way she's doing it is that it's clear to keep it home. Now, what makes it clear that she wants to do it to keep it away from her husband? Because she's giving away all her land to her daughter. Makes sense. You know, once in a while a parent will give a child a gift. Or, you know, want to give a, you know, so something like that. But this woman gave away all her property to her daughter. So Tosa says that's what makes, that gives, gives us an indication that she's not doing it as a proper gift. She's doing it as a star havacha. And now it makes sense because then Ravanan comes along and says, I think just tear up the star. For all intents and purposes, it looks like a good gift. If she had told Aidim, like Rashi says, well then what's there to discuss? She told Aidim that it's not a proper gift. It is a star havacha. Nothing to discuss. So that's why Rav Tosa say the case is they we're working out from the scenario what she meant. And now Rav Anan has a good claim. Who are you to tear up a good star on your assumption that she's doing it as a star of Rav? Um, one second. And, and then also makes sense. Rav says, okay, if she gave it to someone else, I'd understand you saying it's a star of Rav, but to her family? That's reasonable that she's giving off all her property to her daughter. So maybe again. So that's so that's uh, Tosos's way of looking at it, which I think fits in a lot better with the rest of the story. Yes, what are you going on? If the husband's only with the failure to the property, that if she does get divorced, um, she, does, she, she gets does with the property, she doesn't yeah. lose it to him. Yeah. And if she does, if she does, her daughter won't inherit, her husband will inherit. Yeah, so maybe that's a factor. Also, remember, we saw if she wants to sell it, she can't sell it. Yeah. Now, I don't want to get into the full discussion of the next process, but it's also fascinating. Rabbi Nutam had a case come before him. Basically, um, what happened with Rabbi Nutam is someone came along and said, I didn't, in, in Torah law, we know, whenever, and it's not so dis, uh, unsimilar to secular law, whenever someone takes out a loan, their land is bonded to pay back the loan. So someone came to, they wrote a star harvacha, and then they, to keep their money, to keep their land from being bonded to a loan. So that when the person, so, so the person that was lending their money, he saw the star that said this person had given away all his land. So in his mind, so Rabbi Nutam says, does that work? Rabbi, Rabbi Nutam says, no, it doesn't work. The only time the star harvacha works, and that we, yeah, that... I should have done a bit further, but a bit, about a bit further, because it says it's based on Rabbi Shimon. Remember, Rabbi Shimon said, and this is the point we ended off that I mentioned. We ended off, and I mentioned yesterday, and I mentioned that right at the beginning of Shir, that the husband only gets the rights, the strong rights, over the land he kind of expected. It's based on does he expect. So we said a single daughter got an old sickly father, and he's a property tycoon. So he kind of expects that the daughter's going to inherit this land. That's when Rabbi Shimon says the husband has strong rights that he can void the sale of his wife. But in a case where he doesn't expect to get land, then he can't void the sale, etc. And that makes sense. So what's this woman doing when she writes the star harvacha, when she writes it as a gift to her daughter? What's she doing? She's making the husband think he's not going to get there. And that, then they change from what uh, Rabbi Shimon called um, from Yudin to Sha'inon Yudin, from what the husband knows about, what the husband expects to receive, and what he doesn't expect to receive. So that's what Rabbi Nidham says, it really only works in this case. And it, and it makes sense. You can't just write a star 
That's not really Ishtar. Saying my land goes to someone else just to take out your responsibility. At least that's Arabana Tamarans. But here again, as we said, the main point that makes the husband get the power in it is that when he married the woman, he kind of expected them. So now that she's written the Ishtar, he doesn't expect them anymore. So what power does he have in it? Because remember, his power is not intrinsic. She's the one who actually owns the land. So that's why it would, a star of Wacha would work in this case. Okay, so that's an interesting Rabbi Mutab. Um, yeah, there are other ways to explain a star of Wacha as being more extensive and more effective, but that I just thought an interesting way Rabbi Mutab looks at it. So it says, now the Gemara just asks, Maisi, but they challenge us. If a woman wants to keep her assets away from her husband, what should she do? She can write a. Uh, Shtar Pasim, a trick document to someone else. That's Rabban Gamil's opinion, Rabbi Shimon Gamil's opinion. Um, the one who receives the gift can just laugh at her. Unless she writes in it, from today, if I approve of the sale. So what do the Chachamim say? They say, very interesting. No, the star of Rocha is going to stand as a good star. It looks like a good gift. Everything they said made it sound like a good gift. So she can't come along later and say it wasn't really a gift. This is the Chachomim are basically arguing on everything we've said up until now. Um, and we've explained why that would make sense as well, because now the, whoever it is in the scenario we were discussing, the daughter has a good star. So she can laugh. She can say, oh, you wrote it as a star habrocha. That's very funny. All I see is a good star, and I'm keeping the land. That's how the Chachamim learned, except unless, unless she writes in it, if I approve. It seems specifically because she writes this, but if she does not write this, the Lokeach would acquire it. I said, why does Shmuel, up above at the top of the page, we brought that, he says, tear it up. And the Chachamim clearly say, you can't just tear up a shtar avocha unless it has this special clause in that indicates that she doesn't want it to go through. So Amri Bisarilo Kasha, Hobakula Hobamiksasa. He says, no, the difference is, is she giving away all her land or some of her land? Uh, if she's giving away some of her land, then it's, real, then it's more realistic. And therefore, she would have to put a clause in the document that indicates it's a shtar avocha. But if she's giving away all her land, as we said, that's self-apparent that she doesn't mean it to go through, because why would she give away all her land? So Amalei Rebizar, yeah, that's what Rebizar answers. Ah, well then, if the Lokeach doesn't acquire it, the Baal should acquire it. Now the Gemara is asking a more, a very fundamental question. It says, wait, so you're telling me What's the, the star harvocha when this woman, I mean it doesn't have to be specifically be to her daughter, but when this woman gives this land with the star to her daughter, we're saying it is a star harvocha, it's not a real gift to her daughter, it's a pretend gift, and we tear up the star, it's a meaningless gift. Now, well then the land should go to her husband like any other land. It's not land that she didn't own when she got married. It's land that she did own. So why does it not go to her husband? That's the, that's the Gomorrah's question. 
which is a very good question again because how do we understand anything the wife owns any land the wife owns gets brought into the marriage as a as the Nifsay Maluk, and the husband has rights to veto the sale. So he says, no. So Omar Abai, Abai says, Asum kuna chasim sh'ainim yudim levava liba the Rebbe Shimon. Abai says, no. That's because, and this I explained earlier on in the sugya when I wanted to do Tosfos, but I should have left it up to you. Abai says, no. It becomes like the chasim that the husband doesn't know about, and that's in accordance with Rebbe Shimon. As I said again, remember Rebbe Shimon said that if a husband does not expect the land, as we said, like the example we gave earlier uh, yesterday was she inherits it from some distant relative overseas. They never ever expected the land. He has no rights in that land. Well, he'll have rights to Paris, but he doesn't have the rights to veto the sale. If it's land, so this land that she gives as a pretend gift to her daughter, that's a good... Uh, um, that makes it land that he doesn't expect to get. So that's why it works in the case. That's why it works in this case. And as we said, a contract at a time, that's why it would only work in this case, because it depends not on the reality. It depends on the husband's expectation. Because if it's something that depends on the reality, well then, it's a, not a real style. So it's not a real gift. So it's her, so the husband should get it. So it doesn't depend on reality. It depends on the husband's expectation. Okay, that's uh, that sugya, fascinating sugya of a star havocha. There's a fascinating... Um, Discussion. The Chofetz Chaim touches on it, but I was thinking of. But when you read it, it says what happened uh, right at the beginning of the story. So, the daughter came before, well, the wife and the daughter came before Rav Nachman. They came before Beistin of Rav Nachman, and they said, the daughter said, look, I've got a star that my mom gave it as a gift, and the woman claims it's a star avocha. It's not a real star. It's not valid. It's not a real gift. It was all a trick to keep the land away from my ex. So. So what did you, so that's so Rav Nachman tore up the shtar. Rav Anna then went and told Marukva. What do you mean? That who, what does Rav Nachman think he's doing? He's tearing up a shtar. That sounds very much like Loshen Hora. Um, and then not only that, Marukva comes along and says, "Oh, that sounds interesting. Tell me the whole story that happened." Isn't that like increasing the Loshen Hora? So that's, a, so that's a discussion. So I think on the surface, you'd have to say along the lines of um, Rav Anan's goal was not to degrade Rav Nachman. Rav Anan's goal was that the justice should be carried out. In his eyes, this was a gift that should have gone to the daughter. And all of a sudden, Rav Nachman saying, no, it's not a gift to the daughter. That's not justice, that's invalid. And there are leniencies to speak Losh and Hora when it's... Uh, um, the leniencies to speak Losh and Hora when it's for the benefit, when it's for society. And that's, that's what Maruk, that's what Rav Adan's motivation was. It wasn't to degrade Rav Nachman and mock him for getting it wrong. It was almost in pursuit of uh, justice for the daughter who had lost out. And that, that's why it's okay. And the lenient, they are, as I pointed out, at times when it's for the benefit of society, when it's to help someone, to say someone, you aren't allowed to speak Lashon I mean, the famous example is, you know someone getting into a business deal with a very shady character, and you know that guy has a bad history. So you go and warn him. He says, do you know who you're signing this partnership agreement with? He's going to uh, 
Rabji has been involved in all these scams and now don't get into business with him. Or, or you might not be allowed to say, don't get into business with him. You might say, protect yourself or look into it. So that's what Rabbi Anan was doing. That's not uh, to uh, help the daughter get justice. And then Marukfa, when he says, okay, tell me the whole story, okay, and his motivation is not for the gossip. Oh, this sounds like a fun, uh, fun uh, thing that happened to my neighbor, the, the family down the road. He wanted to work on Paskinim. And also, it doesn't mean that he accepted the Lashon Horror. Interesting enough, if someone comes and gives you a warning, it seems Marukfa was the Avbeizdin Din at the time. That's what Rashi says. That's why Rav Nachman, my, my assumption, it seems he was either in the Beisdin or uh, they had decided to use him or his Beisdin as the diet. And then he passed and Rav Anan was, that's, that's not a valid uh, psak. And he went to Marukfa, who was the head of the Beisdin. Something like that. I don't know the exact. Interestingly enough, though, Rav Nachman, we always pass him Rav Nachman in many true cases. So this, there's a good chance that this was also when Rav Nachman was younger and didn't have that uh, prestige as the, as the superior he judge. He was higher than him. Um, it doesn't seem that he was necessarily higher than Rav Anan, at least at this point. Later on in life, or we see in the Gemara, we give a lot of credibility to Rav Nachman, but maybe that's his reputation developed over time. Maybe this was when he was a youngster. Um, okay, so then, and then, so, so that's the one part of the Lashon Hora. Another important part of the Lashon Hora is even if someone comes to give you a warning and a valid warning, you're not allowed to believe it, take it as a truth. You still have to work out. You, you, you can take precautions. I, if I warn you, don't get into business with that guy. He's a crook. You might not be allowed to believe me that he's a crook. You can go into the circumstances carefully, but you can take the precautions. You can investigate it yourself more carefully. You can be more careful with the contracts, whatever it is. <coughs> but you can't, you can't necessarily just go ahead and believe me telling you that so and so is a crook. So that's what... When so, they get ripped off the best part is when you're going to, I told you. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. Marukva, so, so that's what Marukva wants to do that. He says, okay, tell me what happened. Can't take your word at face value that Rav Nachman was talking nonsense and now I have to go intervene in a court case. Tell me what happened. Let's uh, analyze it. Interesting enough, very often, again, someone comes and they says, I want to tell you something, or I want to tell you something that happened to me, you would not be allowed to ask them to elaborate because they have, a, they have an agenda. They just want to tell you something. But here, Marukfa obviously assessed the situation that Ravanan wasn't doing it to tell him a story. Ravanan wasn't doing it to, for himself. He was doing it sincerely to try to help a person. So then Rav Nachman could ask him to flesh out the details. Okay, interesting. Does that how they could end up in that scenario with Rav Anan seemingly ratting on his thing? I always have to tell my students. I don't think... Uh, and Rav Moshe Fansin has a chuba. Can a teacher demand that students... Someone broke the window in class. Can the teacher demand that the students tell on their friend? Or set up, you know, there's the, the famous thing. I'm not going to let any... Until you tell me who did it, I'm not going to let any of you go to break or whatever, or, or I'm going to give you all a detention, whatever the scenario is, is a teacher allowed to do that? And Amosha says, no, nah, you're teaching them to speak Lashon Hora. So you have to remind, uh, often you always get those few boys in the class who are like looking at the opportunity to get their friends in trouble. You know, look, he's, he did this in class, oh, look what he did, you got him. You have to remind them that that's Lashon Hora, you're not allowed to go rat on your friends. That's the whole question, how could Ravana go rat on Ravana? He said, no, it's, uh, it's for the... Benefit, etc. Okay, let's go on to the next Mishnah. Nafilot Safim, 
Oh, so what we discussed in the previous mission was if lamb falls to her. When the lamb falls to her, the husband gets... This was a question you guys were asking me yesterday. I have to remember the sukiah coming up, but I should have taken for granted that it would. We're going to discuss all different types of property that fall to her. So we discuss lamb. What happens to lamb? She retains ownership of the lamb, but the husband has the rights in the payers. What, what happens if not the locks off him? If she inherits money? Now, the problem with this is if the husband uses the money, then it's going to all be spent and she's going to have nothing. But... So what rights, what do you do with it that we keep her principle and that the husband gets to use the payrolls? So if it's money, you buy land with the money and he gets the produce, the fruits of the land. Same thing if he inherits fruit that's detached from the land. Oh, sorry, so she inherits a field that's got all those piles of wheat that's been harvested in. So that again... Payros has the same is the same as money. You would sell it and use the proceeds from the sale to buy land, and he can eat the produce of the land. Again, he can't eat the payros themselves because then he's going to eat into her capital. She's going to have nothing left in the case of death or divorce. Payros What happens if it's land of produce that is still growing? So the wife inherited whatever a vineyard, an orchard, a field. And there's this wheat growing, or there's this unripe fruit growing on the trees. How do you view that? So, Amar Rebbe Meir, Shamin Oisa, Kamehi Yofa, Bepeiros, Bekamehi Yofa, Below Peiros. You evaluate the price of the land with that produce on it, versus the price of the land without the produce on it. And with the difference, you buy more land with it, and the husband gets to eat the the produce. Why is this the best solution? Is because in this case the payers have the status of the carer as the capital. Um, you can't just go along and evaluate the payers as they are because unripe, what, unripe oranges, if you'd pick them from the tree, they would have just about zero value. These unripe oranges, what are you going to do with them? So therefore, you don't have, you evaluate what's the difference in the land with or without that produce, because I mean if you were buying that land you'd have in mind that there's a good chance they would grow properly and you're going to have a good harvest. So that counts as part of the Karen, again, because it's still attached to the land. So obviously she keeps the land, the pr- produce when they harvest it, oh sorry, the money they the, the value of the land that it because it has this harvest growing in it is used to buy more land for her. The husband obviously gets the rice to the payers of the land um, and he will get the harvest when it is ripe. If it's joined to the land, then it's his. It's considered produce growing in the land, which we know the husband has the rice to the produce. And if it's detached from the ground, then it's hers. As we know, she always it would be treated, so you would treat it like we said at the beginning of the mission, like money. You would sell the fruit, buy land with it, and the husband would then get the rights to that. As I just said. Rabbi Shimon says, Sorry. In an area where he gets the strength at the time of marriage, he, he's weaker at the time of divorce. 
מוקום שהורא קייכה בכניסה, יופי קייכה ביציאה. In the time where his power is weak at the time of marriage, it's stronger at the time of divorce. Kaitzad, what do we mean by this statement? It says, Paris hamufubarim lekarka, beknisasa shalom, beyitzisa shalom. Yeah, we can ask the question on the other side. In the, so the, the question that our Mishnah first dealt with was, how do you view these oranges, whatever, this wheat growing in this field, when she inherits the land, she's a married woman, she inherits the land, how do you view the produce growing in the field? Do you view it as part of the land? Do you view it as separate to the land? How are we going to treat it? And Rabbi Shimon comes along, and then you have the same question, what happens if they get divorced? So we know when they get divorced, the field goes back to the woman. So how do you treat the the, the husband, whatever, put in all this money to uh, fertilize and plant and grow, grow this field, and now they're getting divorced. So does she get the oranges growing in the field? Or does he get the oranges growing in the field? So Rabbi Shimon says, we treat it the same way. Produce that's growing attached to the ground, when they get married, he would get it. I just have to wait for it to ripen and then he can harvest and it's his. And if they get divorced, well then the field with whatever's growing in it goes to her and she'll get the rights to the harvest. What's detached from the ground? When they get married, it's hers. So they'll sell it and buy land, etc. And And at the time of divorce, it is his so that's the, that's the main point. So again, anything that is consumed, um, anything that is consumed goes to the, we treat, when the, the, well, let me reason. We want to keep what's called the Karen principle for the wife. At least we're going to see to some degree we want to keep at least some of the Karen for the wife. So when it's land, that's fine. The land stays hers, and the husband gets the harvest, etc. But what happens if it's something that, if it's, if it's used, will have nothing left, like produce? If the husband's eating or selling the produce, there will be nothing left for the wife. Cash. She inherits a whole lot of cash. If the husband's allowed to use it, there will be nothing left for her. So in those cases, what do you do with those things that would get used up? You would sell it to the wife. You would sell it by land. And then obviously the wife owns the land and the husband has the rights to the produce. We're going to see what happens if you have something that's a little bit uh, between the two. For example, she inherits a tree in a way that's... Uh, we will see a whole list of examples, so don't take that. But she, or she inherits clothes. Those kind of lost, kind of will always have something left, but on the other hand, they're consumed. They do get used up. So that we'll see. But, but before we get there, the Gomorrah wants to know, so we said if she inherits money or payros, it is sold for land. So what happens if they're arguing about what type of land to buy? What investment should we get? Oh, before I go one step further, the Gomorrah points, um, the commentaries point out that um, what this mission is teaching us is that the only thing he's allowed to buy is land. You might have thought, he says, look, let me... From an investment. Yeah, no, well, I'm saying he says, so, so she inherits a few million rand. So he says, let me rather invest in this company. Let me rather invest in starting a business. 
and it'll be much better for you because if, if that takes off, then when we get in the case of death or divorce, you'll get uh, millions and millions and millions. So he says, no, the, same, the only thing they're allowed to be, um, invest this money in is land. Land's the safest, most secure, and most likely to increase. So that's, the, that's one of the novelties of the Mishnah. One of them is they're arguing what type. He says, I want to invest in residential property. And she says, no, I'd rather, I'd rather get uh, commercial or I'd rather get a field. So what do you say? So Pshita, Arul, Beta, Arif, they're arguing whether to buy land or residential property, you buy land. Bote, Padikle, if the argument is whether to buy residential property or palm trees, Bote, you buy residential. Dikli, Ilone, Dikli, if the argument is to get palm trees or some other type of tree, then you'd buy palm trees. Ilone, Bikafni, palm trees versus vines. Vinyans, Ilane, trees. Sorry, not Ilane, regular trees. What's the, what's the general rule? Is these are the most stable. For, um, for, um, for example, land, well, obviously always land, as you said, because it's the most proper. But houses are good land, but they wear down. You always have to, if, if the husband's going to use the house for rent and stuff, it's slowly going to deteriorate. Whereas the field, just year after year, you can replant it. And trees, trees are less than house. They're good value. And even when they start to wear down, then you'll have the wood, etc. So they're good value for money, but they're not as good as a, and long-lasting as a house. So therefore, that's the, 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 the one you always go with is the one that is the best investment from the aspect of its wear and tear and how long it will last. Now, what happens if she inherits Abazardasa Kivri, a forest of these sort of saw bushes or trees and a fish pond. How do we view it? Because on the one hand, the trees are part of the land or the fish are part of the pond, but they also get consumed and they don't replenish. You could use them up. So he says, so Omri law Omri Karna, some say you treat it as payros. Uh, what do you do with payros? You sell it and buy land with it. And some say it's caring, it's considered the principle. Because you use them up very slowly. The fish pond will be around for many years and it gets used up very slowly. So it's considered caring. So it's Kala de Milsa. The general principle is Gizomachlip. If it regenerates, regrows, payro is considered payro. I you'd sell it. And yet the husband ain't gizomachlif. If it doesn't regrow, it lasts basically forever, karna, then it would be considered keren. Oh, sorry, gizomachlif means if it regenerates its produce. So the tree would actually be the keren, and the produce would be the peirosia, the fruit from it, and that regrows every year. But... But... Yeah, so that's um, yeah. So again, just to bear in mind that all of this is to protect the wife's principle, because the husband has rights to use it while they're married. So what we're going to do in a way that makes sure that. 
at the time of death or divorce, the wife is left with some care and left with something. It says, so someone steals the child of Bahamas Malug. So what's Bahamas Malug? I, a woman inherited an uh, animal, and that animal had a child. So now the question is, how do we view that child? So Mishalim Tashlumen Kefalisha, he says you pay Tashlumen Kefalisha. The assumption is that the Vlad is considered caring, not Peros. Because again, anything that happens to that child, she has no more sheep, whatever, no more lamb. So that's, so it's considered caring. And therefore, again, what do you do with caring? You would sell it and buy land with it. It's not Peros of the sheep that the husband gets. This our command, but the, who's this like? Again, that's why the woman gets paid, because it's the woman's, it's part of her caring. Come this doesn't fit in with Rabbonim. Oh, the Tanya, as we learned in Abraisa, the, the fetus of a animal that she inherits. Again, Bahamas Maluk means she inherits as Nis, she, she was already married, she inherits it. That's not part of the world yet. So she's doing a deal with the whole cow? No, 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 no. She inherits a cow or a sheep, whatever it is. Then before... Well, firstly, is the cow itself Karen or Paris? It's probably Karen because it will last for a while. And as we'll see, there's always something from the cow. Even if the cow just dies, there's at least a heart. So the cow is Karen. How do you view the calf or the lamb that the, child now, that the cow now gives birth to? Is that Paris of the cow, that, the husband, that it belongs to the husband? Or is it considered its care in itself and it belongs to the wild? So, the first opinion we brought said it is care and that's why it belongs to the wild and therefore the thief has to pay the wild back. And now we bring in, the, the, we say it doesn't fit in with Rabbon and Ochatanya, as we learned in Raisa. How do you treat the child of Bahamas Malug that goes to the husband? Vlad Shifcha Malug, Leisha. But the child of Shifcha Malug goes to the wild. No, the child of a Shifcha Malud is the same as a Bahamas Malud. Again, we see both. They argue about how to treat the child of a slave. But they agree with how you treat the, sli- the child of an animal that belongs to the husband. <coughs> both. So, everyone, so, so if you're telling me the child of the animal belongs to the husband then you wouldn't pay the wife back. He says, no, you can actually say it fits in with everyone. Rabbonin gave him the peiros, the little animal, the, the animal that's born is considered peiros, and it goes to the husband. Peiros, the peiros. But what you get from that little animal, that young, that uh, child, that blood, is loitakin Rabbonin doesn't go to her. What's this peiros, the peiros? The kefal. Okay, this lamb that was stolen is producing double the money because the thief has to pay the value of the lamb, the lamb he stole, which would go to the husband. But the kafel, what, what comes from it, that goes to the wife. Now the Gemara is going to say, whether, why should there, we're going to go into the difference. Why should there be a difference between a Vlad Bahama and a Vlad Shifcha? Okay, remember, the first opinion said, the Vlad Shifcha, um, sorry, the first opinion said that the husband gets the child of an animal. I, again, the woman inherits a sheep, and then 
Now her husband has rights to its parents, and the sheep gives birth. We said that the sheep, belong, according to Hananiah, both the Rabbanon and the Hananiah, that sheep belongs to the, to the husband. The, the child, the vlad, the vlad, the lamb belongs to the husband. Whereas a shivcha was an argument. So Hananya, so Bishlaim and Hananya, sorry, yeah, Bishlaim and Hananya, Hainu Deloi Chayshin and Amisa, according to Hananya, it makes sense. He says we don't have to worry about death. I, we're not concerned that if the animal dies, then she loses everything. We don't view it like that. Therefore, because we, we don't just assume the animal's just going to die. So therefore, whatever the animal produces, even lambs, are considered lambs or a slave. We also don't just assume the slave is going to die. So any children that she has are peros, not caring. El Rabbonon. But how do the Rabbonon... So, so, so Hananiah makes sense because he says both of them belong to the husband. It's considered peros. And it's because he's not concerned about that. El Rabbonon. Nami. If, according to the Rabbanon, if they hold, we should be concerned for Misa. If you're concerned that the animal she inherited or the slave that she inherited will die, then the child is not actually produce. The child is part of the caring. Because remember, we have to protect what the wife inherits from her father. If we're concerned that it's just going to die and she's going to have nothing, well, then it. Then it can't be. Then, then what it's producing can't be considered uh, payrus. It has to be considered part of the carrot so that we we're protecting her. So, so again, so the Ramon, if they're concerned for misa, then even the blood behemah maluk nami law should not go to the husband. It should stay with her as carrot. The iloy misa maluk nami. And if you want to say you're not concerned about misa, well then the child of the shivcha shivchas maluk should also go to the husband. Again, why do they say by the animal that goes to the husband, the child goes to the husband, implying that we're not concerned that the animal dies? And by shifcha, they say it goes to her, implying that we are concerned that shifcha will die. So this is no, we actually are concerned about misha. But shiny behemoth, the ikka, oira. But an animal's different because you have its skin to use. I.e., by an animal, he says we are concerned about misha. But even if the animal dies, she has some caring, and that's the heart. Whereas if the shifcha dies, she has nothing left. Therefore, in the case of the animal, we can say we are looking after her caring, the principal investment that she received, because she'll at least get the heart. And therefore, anything that that sheep has, any lamb or wool or milk, go to, excuse me, go to the husband. Whereas with the isha, with the shifcha, if the shifcha dies, she has nothing. Um, yeah. If the if the sheep is a is pregnant with a lamb before she marries. Well, she, no, she's married. She marries and then she inherits it. So she inherits a pregnant lamb. That's the more. She inherits it before she gets married. Okay. Yeah. And then it has a lamb after she gets married. Does that become a Karen or is it, does it go to the husband? In other words, it was part of the sheep with it was still with sheep before she married. I imagine it's the same, I, I, I assume, I'm not certain, I assume it's the same discussion. Um, 
So the animal, the animal is the Karen of her Malug, and the fetus that's born is Peros. And that's what I see. Okay, Omar Ravuna Barchia, Omar Shmuel, Halocha Kachananya, Ravuna Barchia, in the same name of Shmuel, Halocha is like Hananya. There's no difference between an animal or a Shifcha. The child is, um, goes to the husband. Omar Rav, Omar Rav Nachman, Afal Gavta, Omar Shmuel, Halocha Kachananya, even though they said the Halocha is like Hananya, Moide Hananya, Shim is Gorshon, Asenes Dami, Benoteles. That if they get divorced, she can pay the value of the fetus, and she can take it. Because of the, what's it, the prestige of her father's house. Basically, very interesting. Really, we said that, again, the actual slave stays hers. The actual shifra stays hers. The child of the slave goes to the husband. However, at the time of divorce, even though it's the husband's slave now, this child, she has first rights to pay in and get the ch- and take the child with her. Again, pay in. She can't just get the child because it belongs to the husband. As we said, it's a it's a vlad. Well, at least in this, yeah, we we we're saying it's payros, and um, but she can pay in and get it because of the prestige of her father's house. I certain things like slave and we see land, etc., having to give um, give more prestige to their owners. So therefore, she can say, "Look, I want to keep the what my father's number of slaves at a high level." And she has almost first dibs on taking the slave. Again, not that she can take it because it belongs to the husband, but she can pay in and keep the slave, so the husband gets the value. On my rova, Omar If she brings into the marriage a goat for its milk and a sheep for its shearings, a chicken for its eggs. The decal, a payros, and a palm tree for its dates. The husband can continue to eat it until the karen is used up. I, even though these items will die, since the wife will be left with something, we view that as her karen. Now, what what will she be left with? So, I mean, that's some of them more obvious, but with the, the goat or the sheep, she'll at least have the hearts. The chicken, she'll have the feathers. The palm, she, she'll have the wood from the trunk. Therefore, those are the karen that will be kept for her, and the husband can use the payros. You don't say that you have to sell some of the payros and buy land with it to keep her karen. Omar Nachman, Ailelo, Glima, Peyra Havumi. Rav Nachman says that if she brings in a jacket for him, a coat for him, uh, into the wedding, he can wear it until it's considered, until it's worn. Now, now, that's assuming that when it's, even when he's finished and it's all worn out, there is still some care in it. Otherwise, we would say, she must sell it and buy land with it. So it must be that there's some benefit for her, which we'll discuss shortly. He says, Come on, ki hai tana. This seems to be in line like with the following tana. The tanya is related to Brisa. Amelech ba'achol harete peiros. Again, this is not literally salt and sand. It's what would be like a salt mine. How they, they've set up the beach in a way that it gets salt from the sea. And uh, sand, where they collect sand for building with or whatever. Like a mine. It says, Pirushel gafris, or a quarry of sulfur. Mechuferes. Shalt for a place where they man alum, those Rebimeh Oime Karen. 
Rabbi Meir says they Karen Bachachomim Oimim Peiros. Rabbi Meir says they are considered Karen because they get used up. There's only so much you're going to be able to get from the ground and then it's finished. So they have to be treated as Karen, i.e. sold, and you buy land with the salt, etc. that you mine. And the Chachomim say, no, it's Peiros. Why? Because there's always the land left behind. Even if you completely mine out all the sulfur or whatever you're getting from that or the sand from that quarry, whatever exactly it is you're getting out of there, there'll always be the land left behind. So that's why, as long as there's something left, it's considered, um, as long as there's something left, it's considered Karen, and you would not sell it, and the husband can use all the payros from it. Um, Again, this is this is what the whole Mishnah, this whole Gemara has been. Well, let's just finish. Let's finish up to the Mishnah. Rabbi Shimon, Omer, Rabbi Shimon says, Mokam etc. Where she, it, it, wherever you treat it the same way. I, if it's mechubar, then he gets it when they get married, and she'll get mechubar produce that's still growing when, if they get divorced, and the other way around with if it's detached. Rabbi Shimon, is that not the same as the Tanakama? So, No, the Machloikis is actually if you have something growing in the field at the time of divorce. According to Rabbi Shimon, she would get it. According to the Tanakama, he would actually get it. Anything that's growing in the field, even if it's still attached to the field, is considered his at the time of divorce, he holds the right to it. That seems that upon and hold, we always give the strength, the advantage to the husband, unlike Rabbi Shimon, who says it's equal. Um, just one point, so, so the whole um, Gomorrah, what's this Gomorrah been analyzing? The principle that, again, if she brings in something that we would generally say is payros, I, if it's used, there'll be nothing left for her, you treat that as the Karen, I, you have to sell it and buy land. So the easiest example of that is money. She brings money, she inherits money, brings money into the marriage. So that, if the, if the husband's allowed to spend the money, there's going to be nothing left. So you use the money to buy land. She obviously owns the care in the principle of the land, and he owns the rights to the produce, the whatever is grown on the land, or the rent, or whatever else they get from the land. That would be the easy one. What gets a little bit more tricky is there's certain things that are a little bit in between that. Um, just one example is like this, uh, I don't know, Alamad. So there, the main, main value is what you're getting from what you're able to mine. But, and that will be consumed. But on the other hand, there will be a little bit of value in the, um, in the land or the earth that's left behind from the mine. So do we treat the mine as the Karen and what's mine from it as the Peros? Or do we say that Halam or whatever it is, that is mad, is the carrot, and then it would be like fruit or like money that is usable, and you'd have to sell that and use land for it. That's what that is about. This now we go on to the next Mishnah. So again, this is basically we've established that the Nisay Malug, if if the Nisay Malug is something that is used up, it is sold and you buy land. As as we've just explained. What happens if it's something that will not be used up? Then that is kept. The husband gets the produce, gets the payros. Now, what if it's an item that is not used up, but probably won't be used around for much longer? So just before we see it in the model, like an, old, an elderly slave. As we said, a slave doesn't get used up, so it's caring. 
That's why we said the children go to the husband because they're the payros. So the slaves are never going to get used up. But what happens if it's an old slave that's likely to die? So she's not going to have any caring if you don't do something to protect her. So, what happens if she inherits elderly slaves? So, whoever, whether it's he wants to push for it or she can push for it, you sell it and get land for it. For who are Paris and he gets the produce from the land. Rabbi Shimon Gamil says she can veto the sale because they're the prestige of her father's house. I have the slaves. She says I'd rather take my chances and keep the slave around for as long as possible because that brings a lot of uh, prestige. Look, look how many slaves we have in our family. So that brings a lot of prestige for them. So she can say, I don't want to sell it and get land. It's not all about money. It's also about prestige. That's what Shimon says. What happens if old olive trees or vines fall to them? Now again, they stop producing good quality grapes and vines. They're going to be dried up and basically just firewood. So you sell them and buy land and he gets the payros. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda says, No, you don't say it. No, she ain't shevach beisavir because they are gained the prestige of her father's house. Uh, she can say, I'd rather not sell it. I'd rather keep it just so I can say, look how many vineyards I have. Look how many olive orchards I have. Because that brings prestige. says, oh, but we're hardly getting any money from it. And they're going to shrivel up and die any, any day now. He says, I'll take my chances. Now, Omar Avkahana, Omar Rav, Avkahana says the name of Rav, okay, this is regarding the olive trees, the old olive trees of vineyards. This is all where they were growing in her field. That's where she can say, according to the one opinion, I don't want to sell them, I'd rather keep them. Because when they do shovel up and dry and die, there's at least the land. So she has caring. But if it's not her land, I, all she inherited was the tree, then that's going to be totally disappear, or the barn, that's totally going to disappear. So they would sell it to buy land. Might give floor of Yosef, or Yosef challenge this. He says, says, no, but we saw the same like as by slaves and sheep, because we were sure like it. Things in a field that are not hers. And what happens when this elderly slave dies? She's not left with anything. It's not like, again, a tree that she owns the land. When the tree dies, there's at least the land. So she has some sort of care and protective. But if the slaves, there'll be nothing. When the slave dies, there'll be nothing. So you have to say, that can't be what he said. This is what he must have said. Machlokes is in a field that is not hers. But if it's her field, because it gives prestige to her father's family. She would not. Granted, this field they're not getting much out of because it's an old olive tree. They basically, I guess, use it a little bit for timber. Not much they can do with it. Um, it has no value. Um, it has very little, it's not very productive, and therefore you might say they want to sell it. Since they own the land, you can say they can't sell it because granted it will get used up, dried up, and used for firewood. Um, she will still have the care of the land. However, if she does not own the land, then you would sell it.
Sorry, she would still have the crane of the land, and therefore you keep it for the prestige of the father, otherwise you sell it. Okay, we'll leave it there for today. Have a very good Shabbos. I'm going to have to listen to it.